0: Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of
1: Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Joel Green. He is the CEO of Pro Level Training, the national director of Nike Sports Camps, a former professional basketball player, and a renowned motivational speaker. After retiring from his career in professional basketball, Joel Green founded Pro Level Training, which became a seven figure company. Congrats. That's exciting. you, you. You know, you're on purpose. We're getting to seven figures. That's awesome. Gotta figure it out. Right.
2: It's like, mm. <laughs>
1: In addition to running PLT, Green is also the national director of Nike Sports Camps as well as an accomplished speaker. He was honored to speak for thousands and deliver his own TED Talk. And he now has an upcoming book called Filtering: the Way to Extract Strength from Struggle. Welcome, Joel.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. So there's so many questions that I have, and my husband gave me some questions too. And I have kids, so, and they, um, my daughter's not really that into sports, but my, my son is, he wants to be a professional soccer player. Right. And he was just looking at, um, I took him to camp and he was looking at the jerseys, of mm-hmm. uh, the professional players signed. And I was like, why don't you visualize that that's your jersey, you know, that you retired?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <All right>. <laughs> I just playing not?
1: around with it. So um, I want to explore the question of the difference in mentality, mentality between an average athlete and a peak performing player like yourself and that you're training, I guess, kids. Is that normally do yes. you train kids. Yeah. So what, what do you feel is the
2: difference? The main thing that I preach and that, that I've noticed, even, you know, cause I wasn't always a peak performer. I didn't, you know, I had to go through a process before becoming a, a division one athlete in college and things like that. And I, the biggest difference i found that separates, you know, I hate to call it average, but you know, those from peak performers is consistency. That's literally the, the main thing so it's not that those who aren't peak performers aren't capable of executing what peak performers do on the fields and on the court but the peak performer does it more consistently and that's 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 the main thing they go in with a different mentality of I must do my best tonight and when that night is over the next day comes. They, they have the same approach night in night out you know day in and day out and as opposed to someone else may take some days off, may take some games off, but the people performing, they're, they're just, they're locked in to every moment they step on the field or the court, they have to do well.
1: Mm, yeah, that, that's amazing. I love that because, you know, it really, I think can give people hope that if you are driven and consistent, there is a. Uh, possibility for you to be a peak performer. And I liked how you said um, you were a little bit turned off by the word average, because there can be amazing players. And in fact, they can almost be at the top level, but not quite there. I mean, do you feel that average is kind of a bad word?
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel that it's a bad word. I, okay. I feel that it's a word that, you know, I tell I put the word out there. I, I even have a slogan like NBA mentality: never be average. I, I oh, tell people, yeah, you, you
0: do know, have like, it, it's
2: yeah. You know, so it's like I, 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 I do. I prefer to see it as, you know, uh, it's not an ideal word for me. I, I'm not a fan of, of of average anything. To be honest, I tell people to overachieve all the time, and you know, overachievement gets a bad rap. If someone's called an overachiever, it's like you're calling them a bad name or something. And yeah, for me, I'm like, you're an you just
1: overachiever. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I I want, I desire to overachieve. I mean, I want to give my best to whatever I do. So, you know, I I my whole objective is to see people into if I'm going to work with somebody to get the best out of you, I'm not going to work with you to help you be average at what I'm helping you execute. You know, so I'm working with you to help you go beyond, well above the average. Uh, way of execution. And so that you know, okay, wow, I'm, I'm great at this thing. I'm not only good.
1: Mm, yeah. Do you find that some um, parents come to you with their kids, and maybe they have natural talent, but they're just not motivated, or they don't care? Does that do you ever come across that?
2: Plenty, (laughs) plenty. I've come across thousands of kids that way. I mean I mean it still, no exaggeration. Where they have
1: thousands, yeah. A a
2: ton of talent, a ton of natural ability, athleticism. They just do not have the, the drive to capitalize on it and say, Okay, wow, I do have these gifts. And if I only just work a little bit harder, then these gifts will really shine. And I've seen cases to where those gifts gifts have I they never shine at the level to where they could have uh, because they didn't have the internal drive themselves and you know that's what it's really about too like the kid has to have that you know it's only so far a parent or a coach can push a player to improve after a while once you give them the initial foundation and the tools which that may require a push there's nothing wrong with that the kid has to develop a drive in uh, an enthusiasm craft themselves
1: mm. yeah that's amazing you know joel i'm gonna is it okay if i turn off the video because i'm having a little bit of bad connection i might i'm not sure if it's my internet is that okay if we sure. stop our video? So- sure. can stop my video. okay yep. i just want to make sure i can hear you clearly because no there's, there's so much there's so much wisdom in what you're saying. And, um, I just want to make sure it's not just the internet or streaming. So, yeah. So I hear you. So there's uh, so many people with potential, but maybe they don't have that internal drive, or do you find that they're just not into it at all? And it's their parents that are driving them.
2: I found both. I've definitely found both, you know, for the kids. I've had kids tell me, I, I really don't like this, but my mom <laughs> or my dad made me come here, <laughs> you know. yeah. I, I've, I've had that happen plenty of times. Toward, and you're not
1: offended, right?
2: No, no, I'm never offended by it. I'm never offended by it. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick my job, you know, regardless. And I tell them, okay, let's just still do your best at whatever I show you. And, you know, it, it's not my job to be their parent. I've mentioned different things to parents, you know, but it's, I don't want to, Cross the line. Um, but kids have told me that. And I told them, look, no matter what you do, when you do what you do, just give your best effort, period. You know, it, it's not about being perfect. It's not about, you know, having flawless execution. What I do work on being flawless for kids is their effort. That's the main thing. So no matter if they desire to be there or not, or the parent is forcing them to be there, if they have the skill or if they don't have the skill. Honestly, that's not a priority for me. The priority when I work with someone is, look, all I want you to do, whether you mess up or not, make mistakes, is give total and complete effort. Mistakes are completely allowed. I'm expecting that when I'm showing you something new.
1: Mm, Yeah. I feel like a lot of what you're saying is in alignment with the growth mindset. Do people tell you that or have you researched that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Kind of, you know, trip and fall your way to, to growth and success.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So I want to learn a a little bit more about you. And so you talked about consistency. Were there other things that drove you to be such a top performing player? I mean, you were number one nationally and uh, top 30 players in the country for college. I mean, that's amazing. And then you went pro. So, I mean, what was it in you? You think Because I feel like there's more than that consistency or was it just that consistency that, and how many hours a day does that mean when you say consistency?
2: Well, I mean, so so much of what I teach, and this is what I want for people to get a grasp of more than anything else is the law, I dare say of cause and effect, right? Right. If if you put in the, the work, you know, uh, then the effect will be, you will have a solid result. And again, it may not be the perfect result, but I believe you, you know, and this is looked at in a bad way. The statement that I'm about to say, or the scripture, you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to put that in a positive light to where I let people know Look, you will reap great benefit when you sow great work, when you sow great practice, great training, you will reap amazing results. So it's, it's, for me, that's what it really was. I began to see over time, it wasn't just the drive. I began to be inspired and uh, fulfilled from seeing, wow, I put in X amount of hours of practice and my and my game after that was so much better. And during the off season, I would train from 4.30 or 5.00 in the morning. And then the next season, my points would increase by seven points. So I, I just began really believing in cause and effect and reaping what I sowed and that drove me further and further in a game of basketball because I saw that what I was doing also inspired other people to do the same and even greater.
1: Yeah. So, so like, okay, so you're saying 4.30, 5.30 in the morning, you would get up to work out or play basketball and, and how long would, would you, and you, would you know what to do? Did you have a coach that was meeting you there?
2: Yeah, I I dare say I didn't learn how to truly train on my own until I was about 20 years old. Okay. You know, I I worked out on my own as a teenager, of course, 13, 14. I would go get up shots at the basketball court, uh, but I didn't know how many of things to do. I didn't know how many sets I should do. I didn't even know the true intensity of of how to train. I would go out there and not know, but I would be going 60%, maybe 50% just shooting around and saying, yeah, I went and worked out when I was thirteen or fourteen, but when I got you know older in college, I I had my trainers. It's like you mentioned, I had my coaches that really showed me, no, you have to go a hundred percent, one hundred and ten percent. You know, you have to practice the practice and training should be harder than the games. That's what I was taught.
1: Wow! And so that that's by, amazing. By line,
2: yeah, you want to make sure you're training yourself. And about two to three steps, then the game, would act, the game flow, actually big game comes around, it's a piece of cake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, there's a flow there because you've done it so much. Just, just another, mm-hmm. another day that that's interesting. And so you notice that, okay, so you got into college, even with this like 50, 60% effort that you were practicing and not really knowing how to train like so what really motivated you did you have an early mentor or
2: a coach Yeah, I mean, you know my one of my older brothers Kevin uh he, he was one of my early mentors in the game he started me off in the game and as I began to get older you know so at a young age my dad my dad he played basketball uh as well so you know he was you know, always a day one, just really showing me different things to do, you know, throwing suggestions at me. Hey, you should try this, try that. Would take me out on the court. And, um, you know, for oh, me, that's it, great.
1: It, that's it great.
2: was, yeah, that was on a regular basis. too. and, um, look, put it like this, even to this day. So even if I have a charity or a celebrity game or something like that, my dad is the first one to so, right, look, out, you know, ready for, ready to work out. I'm like, yeah, I got gotcha. you. So he'll, he'll come and work me out. Um, But I mean, that's that's that was what really helped me out. And, you know, an unfortunate motivator uh, was when my older brother, one of my older brothers, Kevin, that started me off in the game, really, he he passed away tragically uh, when I was 17. So for me, you know, he really wanted a whole lot for me within the game of basketball. He, He gave me this nickname, Young Kobe. You know, a lot of people around the city started calling me and um you know, I told him, I, I promised, I said, "Look, I'm gonna give me a scholarship to college. Uh, I'm going to do better in school and I'm just making these different promises. And when he passed away, I'm like, man, you know, as much as I wanted to stop, I just had to find ways to keep going and, and just to improve. And uh, that was a strong motivator. And still to this day, it's a major motivator for me.
0: Wow,
1: that's amazing. we how how did your heart feel did you feel like any anger or sadness and did you feel like you you put it into your practice and and playing basketball more
2: absolutely that's what ended up happening initially I was I was extremely mad I I was angry at at the world I was angry at life I was I I feel like I dare say I was angry at God you know for a moment just like man why, why did you know why did he have to go um just still learning what life was about at that time. For me, it was just tough to figure out, uh, why it happened. And, you know, just, you know, so much, my my heart dropped. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I became very antisocial and just didn't want to do much of anything. I didn't basketball included. I, I could care less about basketball at that time. And, uh, it wasn't until I had family, you know, uh, come and tell me, like, no, you have to keep moving. You have to keep living. You're still here. And, you know, one of my uncles came over and told me, no, you got to, you got, you you have to get up and keep living. And I was laying in my bed. You know, I, I didn't want to see anybody. And uh, I was, I was down, extremely down. And just the moment I got up, I applied that anger. And that, that was a blessing, you know, to that applied anger, you know, in the right direction can, can do amazing things. And that's when I learned. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, ha- having my book come out, that's when I begin the method of what I refer to as filtering, just really finding ways to draw great fuel and fire from e- from diff- difficulties. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, just begin doing amazing things on the court.
1: Yeah, that that's amazing. So did your childhood help you look at life differently? What was it like growing up?
2: From, absolutely it, it helped it, it changed my entire perspective um uh it, it was the total opposite of where I am now um I, I've seen the rough side of life from day one literally from day one I was born into you know just a poverty stricken environment um, neighborhood I grew up in an abandoned house that just it had holes in different areas you know um Graffiti was still on some of our walls. We were next door to another abandoned house where a homeless guy lived. And, yeah. uh, and you lived
1: there with your brother and your parents?
2: Uh, so it was me. I'm the youngest of four. So it was me, my uh, my brother, Eric, my brother, Kevin, uh, who was the oldest one who passed away, and my sister, Joy, who was the oldest of all of us, and both of my parents. So six of us in the house. And uh, there's there situations to where we all had to sleep in the same bed because we had kerosene heaters in the house. We didn't have, you know, just, you know, airflow and heat. So we had heaters in each of the room, but when we only had enough kerosene for one heater, it would go in our parents' room and we all just had to sleep in our parents' bed, all six of us. And um,
1: oh, that's kind of yeah. sweet in a way.
2: It, it, you know, It was funny. So I, me being <laughs> the youngest, I thought the same thing. But yeah, my older siblings didn't feel the same way. You know, they, I, they were, you know, one of my older brothers, he was four years older. My older brother and sister, they're about eight years older than me. So by that time, they they didn't want to, you know, be in a bed with you know, <laughs> yeah. when they were 13 or 14, they didn't want to be in a bed with, with this little, you know, six and seven year old or whatever. But um, yeah, it was, you know, in hindsight, it was like, wow, we had to go through that. Um, but no matter what, it was all a blessing.
1: Mm. Did you always have love within your family?
2: Yes, fortunately, you know, for, wow. you know because a and, lot of
1: times, you know, sometimes people have poverty and abuse right, or not love or right, right. So it's like that's amazing.
2: Yeah, you know, th- thank God, because uh, you know, if we didn't, I personally don't know where I would be individually Um, because I've relied on that my whole life. So I, I was never absent of love coming from my family. Uh, and support so I was fortunate to have that because like you said it could have easily gone in another direction and all of us just been angry we've all had our moments uh you know of getting in trouble and things like that but mm-hmm. you know yeah. we always had love for one another always supported each other and we always knew that we could call and rely on the other sibling or a parent so I'm fortunate to have had that
1: yeah. That's amazing. And now like <clears throat> looking back, do you feel like that growing up like that makes you more appreciative and also helps you relate to others who might be struggling or, you know, since you were so sad when your brother died, you can really empathize with them.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it does. You know, I, I would say that's been the greatest part of, of it all relating to, to others, you know, having empathy towards other situations and not being high-minded ever. You know, I've come from such a humble cir- circumstance to where if I dare become high minded, that's foolish. You know, mm-hmm. I'm asking to be put right back in that situation. Yeah. So for me, I stay in that mode of humility by going and I, I go and visit my old neighborhood every year. I, I go over to, a couple times a year just to just to reflect just to remember and not forget wow
1: why. two times a year that's impressive
2: if not if not it, you know I would say before you know COVID and the shutdowns and everything I, I would go two to three I would just I wouldn't tell anybody I would just drive yeah. past yeah. drive past my neighborhood drive past the old house and just and go really slow sometimes I would park uh recently I went over there parked and just got out and walked Walked around the entire neighborhood, walked around where our old school was, just so I could feel it. You know, I I, I loved where I grew up. Uh, again, it, w- it was violence. You were hear gunshots at night and hear people arguing outside our house. I witnessed the shooting when I was six years old and I was the only person there. So, like, I, you know, I it was all I knew, though, you know, so it wasn't like I said, well, man, I wish we lived somewhere else. I didn't know about anywhere else. You yeah. know, um, that was just my life and I, I enjoyed it to the fullest. Uh, but you know, I knew after a while, like, man, this isn't good. You know, although it was all I knew, I knew it wasn't the best thing. Um, but yeah, I, I keep myself in that spirit of humility. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm not going to dare become high minded because I've had some success. Um, and I love relating to, to other people as a result of that.
1: Mm, yeah. So how can you help others see life from multiple vantage points since you've been there?
2: Well, I mean, if, if someone hasn't been on both sides of life, I dare say ask questions, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. empathy comes from understanding Mm -hmm. and, you know, if we're lacking empathy, it's probably just because we're ignorant, you know, on different topics. And there's nothing wrong with that because everyone was, everyone didn't experience the same thing. So you're going to be, I'm ignorant on certain topics. So when I feel or notice that I'm ignorant on different things, I'm I'm such a curious person and a learner to where I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to find out something so that I can understand greater so that I can empathize and not be foolish in my stance or my vantage points and my perspective. So if someone wants to relate more, empathize more ask questions try your best to understand the other side before you judge the other side and that's what happens so many times that's why there's so much prejudice so much so many prejudgments that occurs because there's a lack of understanding so i just say ask questions and that helps a lot
1: yeah yeah that's great that's wonderful so um, for parents with kids in sports, how can we help inspire them without getting them injured or burned out? How can we support them or like you know sometimes they call um parents or moms that are too aggressive tiger moms, you know <laughs> go 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 <laughs> right right I'm try- you know for me, trying to find my balance too of encouragement and not um you know, pushing him so far that he's just like, I'm done. I don't want to do, have anything to do with it.
2: Well, again, I, I have a nine-year-old son, right?
1: Oh, that's yeah. cool. My son is 10.
2: Oh, nice, nice. So again, you, you know, so you, you, you get a number of things I'm probably about to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> so again, my, my son, he loves basketball too. Fortunately, because then we have a shared interest in that regard um I obviously want him to be good I want him to be great he wants to be as well which is you know awesome and I'm glad
1: yeah so you kind of let that go even though you know you've had this amazing trajectory and path you kind of just like whatever you want I kind of I feel that about you and your son
2: I would say in a way in a way okay yeah in a way because he began expressing to me that he wants to get better he he literally said i, I want to be just i want to be just like you he's told me that when he was younger so i'm like okay i'm going to help you improve the game of basketball when we do different things we're going to train we're going to work out but i'll dare say even in late because i've had my moments where i'm like okay i think i'm pushing him too hard and i've had to step back and catch myself and say okay don't make this uh unfun that's not a, I know it's not a word but you want this to be enjoyable for you know yeah what I mean? yeah yeah as opposed to right. just being work so what I've began doing again recently recent months is saying okay mix in those fun days to where there's no pressure days to where it's like it's, it's not a workout we're just playing basketball he loves to play basketball he's not always a fan of training and working out so I even showed him a quote from Muhammad Ali recently to where Muhammad Ali said, I hated every moment of training, <laughs> but I pushed through to live the rest of my life as a champion. And wow, him, oh, that's yeah.
1: fascinating that, that he, I would just never imagine that he hated it.
2: He, he, he literally <laughs> said, I hated every moment. <laughs> yeah. Cause but I love, I love
1: training. Oh my God.
2: Mm-hmm. So oh. I try to mix in those fun moments, those fun yeah. days where we literally just play, you know, just, just play. Let's just go play it's not about oh, i, I watch my terminology my my, my verbiage too Let, let's not go work out let's not go let's go play the game mm-hmm. and for him i'll be honest i saw the growth happen even faster when i mixed in those play days oh, as opposed to the growing workout days all the time I and see. you know and also what helped out was it allowed him to just to have greater application of what we were training So you know, he was able to see it. Okay. Wow. I can actually do this because of the training. So I've cut back on the training and begin increasing the play. Mm, so it was yeah. about 50, 50 now.
1: Yeah. But that's still pretty good. That's mm. that, you know, to be 50% training at nine years old. Okay. Now I'm going to get even more specific. Go for What is your opinion about, when you say working out, like for kids, uh, your opinion about weights and weight training for younger kids, because I've always heard, like I started, I was a personal trainer. I, I did triathlons. I'm really into working out too. And, um, I always heard 12 years old would be a good age to do weights, but I was curious about your opinion.
2: I would agree. You know, at 12 to 13, I always say that 12 to 13, because at that point you're about to enter high school, you okay. know, you're in eighth grade, you know, for different females, for example, they may already be around the max height, you know, where they'll be the, 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 major, the remainder of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at things like that. Obviously that's not the case for a lot of guys. Um, so it, it's, I'm big on not stunting any height or growth in any way. So I say, okay, you want to wait till you're about 12 or 13 years old. I prefer 13. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But at the same time, it's right now we have so many ways of, I refer, refer to it as resistance training, of course, Yeah. as opposed to weight training to where there's still things you can do at 10, 11, 12 years old, as far as resistance training, as far as using bands. Um, I'm huge on body on body weight uh, for yeah. kids and youth, so we'll do push-ups, we'll do crunches, we'll do squats mm-hmm. with holding something light. You know, if they hold anything, I may give them a medicine ball, but nothing on their back to where, you know, it can do more damage than good um, while their body is still in a, such a developmental stage. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll do a lot of resistance training as far as with, with heavy resistant bands and Um, medicine balls, not a whole lot of weights.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting because I see, you see things differently, like a medicine ball isn't necessarily a weight because it's balancing your body. Is that Mm -hmm. why?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's more so, and again, it depends on the the athlete as well, depending on the Mm -hmm. sport that I may be training. I'll switch up the the weight let's call it or the resistance that I I offer that 10 year old so you know it's if it's a football player I'll try to find something that's oblong as opposed to a circular ball you know I have these uh these sandbags that that's perfect you know when it comes to like young football players I don't want them to hold a circular ball basketball players I'll give them a medicine ball because it's circular like I just I switch things out in different ways to where even it's funny, I was doing some things with the sock with some soccer players, and I had them just shoving sandbags, shoes shoes off, just socks, and they had to walk and shove, walk and shove, like, like a, with a sidekick with the inside of their foot, shove these sandbags along the turf. And it offered resistance. Uh-huh. So that by the time we actually you know put shoes back on you know, was able to go full speed. They they could tell that that same motion was strength was strengthened. So we do things like that. Uh, ah, to where again, It's okay. not a lot of weights, uh-huh. but I offer great resistance in different ways.
1: Yeah. So what do you think is the best exercise? Um, not necessarily resistance training, but, um, for being a great basketball player, like what, what's a good, um, Exercise that you've seen really helped you or your son the most.
2: Well, the fact is, basketball and you know, besides basketball, and let's say volleyball, the two of the the jumping sports. So, mm-hmm. I tell basketball players all the time, you want to find ways to jump. So, jumping yeah. rope has been one of the the greatest oh. exercises I've done as an athlete. Period. Um, oh, wow. Period. I mean, I mean it too. It, it keeps you agile, keeps you light on your feet, keeps you on your toes, uh, and it's a full body workout because you're incorporating your shoulders, you're incorporating, oh, your, yeah. incorporating your arms, and and it's, it's
1: cardio. It is it's such cardio, a hard workout. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So jumping rope has been, if it, if it's one exercise, the fact that basketball is a jumping sport, jumping rope has been one of the best. So yeah, I, I will go with that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's great insight. And what about just high jumps or plyometrics? Like, what do you think about those? You know, they have those exercises in CrossFit where you're jumping mm-hmm. up high to those um, different heights.
2: I think it's great. I mean, plyos are, are amazing. Just for, for basketball period, you know, so obviously jumping rope is a, is a plyometric. Any type of plyos are, are great for basketball player, you know, for any athlete to work on explosion. Um, And I'm big on that as far as the performance side of training, not just the skill side, Uh, because if you have both, then you're that much greater of an athlete. Mm. So I'm big on training plyometrics, doing those explosive jumps, getting high reps of them so that your muscles can remember Mm. them and just execute whenever you attempt to do them. So I, I love things like that as well
1: hmm that's great and do you have a success story of like a kid coming in that maybe wasn't that great or that motivated and really turned like you inspired him to um turn their attitude around turn his or her attitude around
2: absolutely there, there's a I have a few but I'll tell you one there was a girl, uh, Alyssa. And I, I began working with her. She came to my camp. This may have been back in 2011 or 12. And, you know, I worked with her when she was nine years old. And, I, you know, no disrespect to her. She wasn't that good. You know, she,
1: <laughs> yeah. she,
2: she ripped, but she really, This really is for basketball, good. right? I'm sorry?
1: Was it for basketball or
2: this what? Was what? Basketball, yeah. Yeah. So this was for basketball, yeah. This was for basketball. And I saw, though, from the first day, she loved basketball, you know, but just didn't have, much skill at all. So when I began working with her, I just said, All right, let's keep it loose. Let's keep it simple and just see what the fundamentals look like. And she had, you know, the thing about her was she had a motor. So she was willing to mess up. She was willing to just get, chuck the ball up there and just do her best. And that helped a whole lot because mm-hmm. you'll have That's a lot of. So you're talking kids. about
1: consistency, like yeah, going for it. Yeah.
2: Exactly. You know, and, you know, you have a lot of kids that wants to be so perfect that they're not willing to mess up and just do or try what you requested or what you're demanding of them to, to try. But she wasn't that good. Uh, but again, guess she had the drive and desire. She, you know, she told me I want to you know, play college basketball and these different things. That's all right. Cool. I said, well, I told her from the from the jump. I said, it's going to take you a lot of work. And I said, you're going to have some tears. We're going to have some tears. We're going to have some different things. And we definitely did over the years. And I, I worked with her up until, you know, going to college. And she became, you know, a top 100 player in the country.
1: Oh, my God. I'm going to yeah. cry. That oh, is such it, a good was, story. Um, I'm totally she crying. She
2: scored <laughs> over 2,000 points in high school. Um, she became really, really good. And, you know, I, I loved her for it because of, for her effort because it inspired me to yeah. see, like, wow, okay, you, you put in that work it really will pay off and you will live out your dreams. So uh, Alyssa, she's, she's been one for me is like, wow, she's a part of the mold that I still carry today when I'm working with different players. I saw it work with her over a, over an eight year, seven to eight year period. So wow. um, yeah. And you know, I've had, I have a couple of those stories, but she's the main one. that jumps out to me. She was one of my first athletes, and uh, she became really, really good.
1: Wow. That is so inspiring. I mean, can you imagine the opportunity to work with you for seven and eight years? Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. Okay. So let's shift to your book, filtering the way to extract strength from the struggle. So how was that writing it?
2: You know what? It, it was a six-year process, believe it or not. Um, I believe it.
1: I'm a yeah. writer too. Okay,
2: so so you, you completely understand. So um, I I began. I came up with the title. You know, I, I was speaking it already from the stage at that point in time, back in about 2016. Um, I knew what it was going to be. I knew what it was going to be about. So I began just contributing content to this word document that I had, this ever expanding word document. And I would say I would have a thought on the topic and just. I would go ahead and just ramble away on the word document and type up, you know, a thousand words and um, and just would step away from it. And I just kept doing that over the years. Like I knew this would be a book, but I never got serious about making it a book until 2019, Uh, 2019, you know, something happened to where I was just, Driving around, this was on my brother's, my older brother Kevin, who passed away on his birthday, and it struck me for some odd reason that year, super hard, as if it just happened, and um, it, it was it was it was really difficult. I mean, I was driving around, it was raining, and I was I was crying. I had to pull over, and um, I said, "Man," so I pulled over. I told myself, "Filter it, filter it." This this is a term I used to tell myself all the time. Filter it. Filter it. Just get something from this. Don't just stay in this emotional place and and go down. Come up from it. So um, that same day I pulled up to my house when I finally got home and I sat outside my house while it was still raining. I just started crying again. I told myself, filter it. Filter it. And immediately some ideas came to mind and I hopped out of my car, ran inside, got in front of the computer and just started typing this book. I put myself on a schedule. I said, I have to finish this book. And um, I just began drawing so much strength from that moment when I kept telling myself, filter it. As I really saw the creative brainstorming that comes by way of filtering your emotions and, and what you're going through and how I'm able to draw draw out amazing things, even from difficult situations like that.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. You know, I do this, um, a workshop called, uh, from pain to purpose, like really right. figuring out, okay what is the reason behind this pain or disease happening with you? Or, and maybe you were talking about the struggles that you had growing up, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I feel like every pain has a a purpose. It's actually, you know, one of the chapters in the book is called The Purpose of Our Pain.
1: Yay, see, we're in alignment, we're in alignment. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that, that there is a purpose behind everything. And we ought to question our pain, question what we go through, yes, not ignore absolutely. it. You know, and, and that's when we find the fruits of that situation. And, and we're able, I dare say, to avoid that situation from coming again in the future in that same facet. And um, mm-hmm. we're able to really resolve things as opposed to having revolve.
1: Yeah, can give you a different perspective. So what are one of the ways that from our audience, can you give us one of the tips that our audience can find strength through the struggle if they're struggling right now?
2: Absolutely. Again, qu- question the struggle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and and, re- and don't question it emotionally, though. Like, why me? Don't do that. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> because
1: then you're getting into, like, the victim. It's not empowering. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. The, the, the self-pity, you know, those... Oh, that's, that's a dangerous place to pit. Pity is a pit. And I, I tell people that. It's a pit, you know, and it's hard to get out of it. So you, you don't want to put yourself in that place. But question what you're going through. Question that struggle and really try to pick it apart. Break it down. And, and that's what the whole filtering process is, is breaking your situations down. Question it. Lean into it. Don't try to sweep it under the rug. You'll trip over that at some point. It's like you, you must look into it. Break it down and say, okay, what can I get from this to make me better? How can this, if possible, how can this actual struggle right now push me forward? How can it push me forward? And the moment you start to question your situations in that capacity, again, that's when you get into a great brainstorming phase that so many people don't have an opportunity to experience amidst a struggle because we're just trying to get rid of the struggle so fast. As opposed to, because it's painful, it hurts. But the moment you question that struggle, you you question that pain, you start to find the fruits within that moment while you're going through it. And you actually not, you're no longer being in a rush to get rid of that struggle because you start to thrive amidst of it.
1: Mm, That's beautiful that you just really feel it fully and completely question okay what is the purpose what is the reason yeah that's amazing i i it, love that advice
2: i have to mention one more thing too because this is what helps me it helps me so much i mean how and it, it how can i help someone else with what i'm going through right now mm. and it the, the beauty of what that does is this so many times when we're amidst a struggle, we get extremely selfish. Why me? Like I mentioned already, oh, it always happens to me. We put ourselves in the forefront of this thing, not realizing so much of what we go through is not for us, but it's for someone else. And I oh, realized that. Oh, now that's life.
1: profound. Everybody take that in. That's really profound. Yeah. I,
2: I think I had to realize that from my experiences. You know, the things you asked me about earlier, growing up in those those conditions and things like that, I didn't go through that just so that I can go through it. I've, I've I've gone through those things so that I can now, you know, as I feel, walk in my purpose and help impact other people by saying, you know what, I get it. I understand it. Here's how to get beyond it. You know, so so much of what we go through is not just for us. So when you're amidst that struggle, I dare say Put yourself aside and say, How is this, can this be helpful for someone else? And it gets you out of that place of, of selfishness. It makes you more selfless. And you start coming up with ways to just thrive that and again, you don't notice the struggle as much then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of shift that energy into exactly. how can I, how can I serve? Exactly. How can I serve? Exactly others, because that I think you really nailed it, Joel, I, I have to be honest, because it's like, I almost feel like you discovered the key of life. <laughs> it's like, it's like this. Oh, my gosh, I am just having this moment of realization that if if we can shift, if humanity can shift that and realize we're meant to help others with our Mm -hmm. own pain and struggle. Wow. Can you imagine what kind of world we'd live in?
2: It it would be, you know, nothing is perfect, but we we would be in such a great place Mm
0: -hmm. if we
2: (laughs) shifted the struggle, you know, whatever you want to call it. It just just really changed our mentality and our approach amidst, you know, and that's one thing Mm -hmm. that I was, just recently, talking to someone about is, is not just being aware of these things to do. The challenging to- thing a lot of times is can you bring this awareness back to the forefront of your mind while you're going through what you're going through? You know, like not waiting on hindsight to say, oh yeah, that was the answer. No, while you're going through what you're going through, can you make that shift mm-hmm. while you're going through it and not let emotion- emotions cloud? the the intelligence that you have the knowledge that you have the wisdom that you have that's what happens so often our our wisdom is clouded by emotions and we Mm -hmm. forget the protocol we forget the things that we've learned so it was like that's the challenge catch yourself and filter what you're going through while you're going through it
1: well you're bringing your peak performance and training to this struggle aren't you
2: Absolutely. Look, so much of who I am, Carissa, is is because of my athletic background, and you know things I learned, you know, studying psychology and you know doing you know the the sports psychology studies that I had to do, and um, that's that's the whole approach. It's like, I just had to apply. And that was the beauty of, I never forget my first sports psychology course that I took in college. I
1: love, I love sports co- psychology, by the way. I have a minor in exercise and health science. And I love oh, it. Oh,
2: perfect. So yeah. you, you know, you know, yeah. right. I mean, it, so it, good. It, was, it was amazing, right? I, I loved it. Um, it. It was so much that you easily saw could be applied to just life outside of sports.
1: That's true. Good
2: point. And I took full advantage of it. I would. I would ask my teachers so many questions like, well, if this happened, you know, what, you know, could I actually do this, you know, in a classroom, you know, outside of sport. I mean, I was so curious and it helped me so much to to this day. I mean, I read so much on the mind and things like that to where it's I just don't want to I want to stay sharp. I'll put it that way.
1: Mm Yeah, sports psychology is, I mean, that's a major part of the Olympic team. And, and I'm mm-hmm. it must be for pro athletes as well, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to sit down. Again, I I've I've been a pro, so I get it, but I would love to sit down with Olympians and just have a yeah. talk. You know, they're the best in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would love to just dive into their mindset. Not so much the regimens, but the mind behind the regimen. Um, again, I get it as, as a pro myself, but there's athletes with greater mentalities than me, than I. So I would really love to find out like what drives you, you know, like what, yeah. you know, just why, you know, what, what, what makes you go that hard? You know, um, but yeah, I'm so curious about things like that because I know what it takes to be a peak performer, but I know there's even more out there.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and you know, if you hear some of them being interviewed, they'll say, "Oh, I I already won this gold medal in my mind like a hundred times." Or it, it's like they visualize their wins too so clearly, and everything the the emotions and the feelings associated with that.
2: And, and that's me too. I mean, one thing I've I've, I've done, and I I do this. To this day, um, I visualize what I'm about to pursue before I even make a move toward it. And I do it until and I don't stop until I actually feel like I've already gotten it. And I'm talking about Oh, logically, like it goes from just the psychological side to physiological. I, I must feel it. I'm talking to the point of I I can literally draw the entire scope of things out and show you exactly what happened once I had it. I must feel as if it's already mine. And then that's when I go after. That's all, all a part of there's three steps that I give people a lot of times. And the first step is to have a childlike imagination. And during that phase, when I'm pursuing a goal, I don't move on to the next step until I feel like it's already been mine.
1: Oh, my God. You're amazing. I love that. That's incredible. Because that is a secret to manifestation. Absolutely. What you just said right there.
2: Absolutely. You have to feel it. And uh, for me, the reason why I love to feel it too, is because then I feel like I deserve it and it's Mm -hmm. it's deserving is such, it's such a forgotten piece to the puzzle for so many people. They don't feel like they deserve a certain thing, so they don't pursue it as hard, Mm -hmm. you know, but like if, if I had $10 that were taken from me, I'm like, no, that's my $10. I deserve that back. So for me, things that I, I, I truly feel I deserve, I feel like I deserve my possessions. And if I get myself to the point of feeling like I've already possessed this thing, oh, I'm going after what's mine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when will your book be released?
2: My book will be released. Uh, the date right now is September 6th, 2022. So um, I am super excited to to release the book we have some great things in the works too uh, that will precede yeah. that yeah um, I, i'm sure you'll love to see this this is uh so a book trailer is being created right now okay. for the book and it's not your average book trailer at all um it's a 3d book trailer yay and, uh yeah so the same same look as a, a toy story or ice age uh you'll see my life Honestly, many of the things that we discussed, you'll see, you know, me and my family growing up and those, the settings that I described. You'll see things that I witnessed as a youth. You'll see things that I've gone through. You'll see death, you'll see divorce. You'll see a whole lot of transparency within this book trailer and just a whole lot of work.
1: Wow, I'm excited to see that.
2: Yeah, it's going to be, it, It's uh, It's it's about, Five months into development already, um, and it's going to be about two and a half to three minutes in length. It, it's it's the serious, you know, the whole DreamWorks type of process. It's that same process, so it's uh, it's pretty involved. It's going to be really, really good.
1: Oh wow, that's exciting! And I'm sure you'll go on tour, the book tour. That, yeah,
2: that's, that's the plan. We're already mapping out a few places now. So, you know, some bookstores, mm-hmm. some universities. Uh, To where I really my my overall objective is impact. That's why I wrote the book. I really wanted to impact people uh, in a a a major, major way and just, you know, have massive influence to where people have some protocols in place for themselves to say, okay, when I go through this, here's what I can do. Here's something that can be a strategy to to save me. To be honest, I, I saw what it's done for me. And things that I've had to overcome, I had no choice but to overcome. At least that's the way I told myself. Um, when I was faced with different things, I want to relay this mentality, this peak performing mentality, as you as you mentioned, to other people. Cause I, I just I see what it can do for them.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a motivational speaker. Obviously, this this whole interview has been so inspiring and motivating. And um, so, ha, what has been one of the best motivational talks that you've given, and how was it received?
2: Uh, and that's, um, that's a good one. I, I would say it will be the TED talk that I gave. Uh huh. Um, what was the talk? Because what was it, it called? That was called uh, Three Essentials to Equality.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, the the reason why I would say it would be that one is because, again, obviously equality, you know, uh, racial topics, things like that, prejudices, it's touchy topics, you know, for a lot of people, you know, to even think about. It's a very cringing area. It's like, okay, let's dance around this. But... That's true. You know, the... the Reason why I really look back on and say, okay, that was a, a great talk because I tied in goal setting with equality, uh-huh. as opposed to saying, hey, stop doing this. Be nice, you know, instead of just gotta go attacking one side or another side. I I spoke on how setting goals can apply to it, you know, gaining greater equality. In this country and across the world, you know, between black, white, between everyone, and just us working together in ways to eradicate it and get rid of the police brutality that's been taking place and things like that. I brought it all up, and good just for you. Said, okay, you know, I, I didn't want to ignore it. Um, yeah, this was this was uh, a couple of years. This going on two years ago, and after so much was happening, you know videos going viral and things like that. I'm like, I can't ignore this. And it was just on my heart so much. I was talking about it behind the scenes. So often I said, I would be foolish to have such a platform like the Ted stage and, and not speak on it. So I speak on goals all the time. That's one of the main talks and keynotes that I give. i go to different organizations and businesses and say, look, here's how to change, you know, goals for sales and X, Y, Z. Um, I had to tie it into equality. So that's when I gave the childlike imagination as a first step. Need your wants as step number two, and focus on the journey of step number three, and just tied it all into how it can improve upon us as a people, Mm
0: -hmm. one
2: people.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, now, how did you make it on the box of Cheez It?
2: That was a freak accident. Uh, so, <laughs> you, didn't, so,
1: you didn't visualize that one? Okay.
2: It, no, I, I actually did. I actually did. As it, it, funny <laughs> as it sounds. Not, not to awesome. the point to where I, you know, I made it happen, but subconsciously it happened. I, I, I told myself when I was younger, I wanted to be on a box of Wheaties. Yeah. And, you know, I saw Michael Jordan and some Olympic athletes on a box of Wheaties yeah. when I was probably about seven or so, eight years old. I, was I, remember, I I can literally picture right now looking, I wasn't at the height of the fridge, yet, the top of the freezer, but I remember looking up at, you know, the box, the orange box of Wheaties and seeing Michael Jordan's face on there. It was like, oh, man, that will be cool. I'm going to be on a box one day. And, you know, uh, once I decided to step away and retire from playing basketball, I began doing modeling, sports and fitness, acting, things like that. And um, I did a, a photo shoot one night when I was just hustling to get prints as a, as a model, just trying to build my portfolio. And you'll, you'll laugh at this. I, I'll say this four years later, that same image that I took, you know, a popped up on a box of cheeses. And, uh, nice. I, I, was, I wasn't thinking anything about that photo shoot that I took because it wasn't specifically for cheeses, you know, at least, Um, But they selected that photo four years after I took the the shot. And um, once I appeared on the box, you know, I I developed a great relationship with Kellogg's, with Jesus, Jesus family. They they've embraced me as a part of the family. It's on team Jesus. Now I've played in a celebrity basketball game that they put on every year multiple times, Um, you know, along with being coached by Shaquille O'Neal. Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley. Dominique oh, Golden, some my God. People,
1: what an honor. Um, being That's a part awesome.
2: of these games. So it, it's manifestation for sure. It was something I, I, I visualized. It's more so like a like so subconscious situation. I'm like, I, I want to be on a box of Wheaties one day. But my son, he he found it in the store. He was about three years old. He said, Daddy, you're on, a, you're on the Orange Crackers. You're on the Orange Crackers. I said, no, I'm not. I said, come on. I so we got to go. And he ran and grabbed the box and showed me. I said, wow, it's me.
1: Oh, my God. It's funny that they didn't tell you.
2: <laughs> no, what? Well, yeah, they. It, it, it was crazy. They didn't even know who I was at the moment. You know, oh but we, my we, quickly gosh. Connected. we quickly connected and literally, you know, it, it's been we've been connected. It was, it's funny how this thing works as far as the modeling side, because sometimes you as a model, depending on the type of shoot, you sign your the rights away to the images that you take.
1: Yeah. And then you get like a percentage or something after.
2: Pot, depending. You're right. So some can be set up that way. I set up what was called a TFP shoot. So a time for prints. Okay. And, you know, I gave the photographer my time. He gave me the prints. That's all I needed. So I, I signed away all my likeness. I became a stock image, you know, so you can go to iStock.com and you saw all these images of me on things like that. And, uh-huh. you know, I was popping up on different people's websites and marketing material um, but this was the one that oh, really took off and that's we, amazing. We can't connect it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it that's just, amazing. Yeah, And so, that
1: yeah, that's great. So what is Zen success to you?
2: You said what is success?
1: Zen success. Oh, Zen success.
2: I would say, you know, Zen success is, is fulfillment. Ultimate fulfillment. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to from my end. When you are at a place no matter what you're pursuing and you're not in a place of comparing yourself to other people and the level of what they've done or they didn't do the moment you're fulfilled from what you're doing you're successful
1: that's amazing it's been such a pleasure connecting with you i know we went way over time um and- <laughs> Just like, I just love talking to you,
0: learning no more about it.
1: yeah, um, your upcoming book, Filtering. I'm so excited for the 3D video. I'll put your website and how to connect with you in the show notes. Your publicists, I'll connect with them. And just thank you for being here with me today, Joel.
2: Right, Carissa, thank you so much for having me. I made it. Thank you.
0: That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.